So we're in Ephesians 6. So you guys are uh, you guys are incredibly gracious and kind. So this is one sermon that I'm finally finishing after three weeks. So thank you. So, uh, but so just a reminder. Here's the verse, Ephesians 6:14. Right, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It went the breastplate of righteousness in place. So how many of you have ever been given a bad gift? Like birthday gift, Christmas present, right? Been, been, been given a bad gift, anybody, right? How many of you have ever gotten a really good gift, right? So what's the difference between a bad gift and a good gift to you? What signifies that distinction? What, what makes you go, yeah, that was a bad gift, right? Or what makes that a good gift? When I think about that, right, I think about it in terms of if somebody gives me a good gift versus a bad gift, the determination for me is, will I use the thing that they got me, right? Like there was a season in my life where I wore a tie to work every day. Hard to imagine, but it happened, right? I, listen, when you wear a tie to work or for anything, lots of people take the easy way out and buy ties for your birthday and your Christmas, right? Most of them are unwearable. And I had a bunch of those ties, right? The distinction between something that I liked as a gift and something that I would consider good and something that I didn't consider good was the difference between whether I used it or not. Which is why I began to constantly tell people what I liked. Because guess what now? I either get no gift or I only get gifts that I actually use. I've been here 13 years, get ready to start my 14th year. I have said since I've gotten here, I like Twinkies. I can tell you for a fact that in the 13 years I've been here, nobody's got me a box of ding-dongs. Never. Right? Now, don't buy me Twinkies because I'm not eating them right now and it'll just break my heart. Okay? I've told people I drink McDonald's iced coffee because it's better than Dunkin' and Starbucks. And it's half the price. Nobody brings me a Dunkin' gift card, gift card or nobody brings me a Starbucks gift card. But... People are kind and give me McDonald's gift cards. And that's a good gift. Why? Because I use it. I use it. Right? When we buy our kids gifts, it's always frustrating when you go out and you've invested money and you're like, man, our kids are going to love this. And then you give it to them and then they don't care about it. Right? Stinks. I honestly think that for, I think this for lots of Christian people. I think that for lots of Christian people, the distinction between the degrees of their faith is I don't think they understand how good the gift is they have in Jesus Christ. I just for think for most people, most people see Jesus as a gift, but a tie they don't wear. And so sometimes the songs that we sing, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? There's freeing, healing, feeling this place. Right? There's revival shaking this place. I think those words sound profound, but I think for most people, they ring hollow. 
And part of the reason why I preach the way I do and study the way I do is because I want you to know the gift that you have in Jesus. Because once you recognize the gift that you have in Jesus, it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you interact with the devil and the way you interact with those forces of evil who carry out the schemes of the devil to destroy you. The problem is for most of us, we don't believe it. And we don't know how to believe it. Listen, I want you to know that the gift that you have in Jesus isn't just the cross. There is more to Jesus than his death on the cross. I've never died for anybody. How about you? Anybody here die for anybody? You can just say no because it's a dumb question, okay? I know you're looking at me like, has Cord lost his mind? No, you haven't. But has anybody ever saved your life? One person, two people, three people, probably more than's willing to admit. Or have you ever saved a person's life? You know, when that kind of interaction happens, there's a lot of things that takes place with that person. If you've ever been on the receiving end, thank you, right? If you've ever been on the receiving end of somebody saving your life, there's a debt that you owe, that you feel you owe this person, right? But there's also a tremendous amount of pressure in that. Because what you know from this person is, this person, this person saved my life. This person did something for me that prevented me from that. That's a weight that's really hard to carry. And for most people, their relationship with Jesus boils down to this. You get told over and over again, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. You're a sinner. You were going to hell. Jesus died for you. And that's the only perspective you carry around about Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's a big weight to carry. Because guess what? You didn't ask him to do that for you, did you? You didn't say, Jesus, I'm going to hell. Would you please die for me? He did it without even asking you. And for most Christian people, that's the Jesus you get preached to. And then what you're told is how terrible you are and how you appreciate that gift by the way that you're living. Do you not remember Jesus died for you? You should be doing a lot better. That's a lot of pressure to put on people. The problem is that's not just Jesus when it comes to us who know him. Because Jesus who died for us also lives for us. Somebody say amen. He's not still dead. He got into the tomb and he came out of the tomb. And scripture says he's alive. Well, interceding for us. The problem is, even though his perspective has changed, most of ours hasn't. And I think that's partly because we don't preach Jesus very well. And I want to preach Jesus in a way that you understand the gift that you have. Because he's not a tie you never wear. He's a box of Twinkies that you tell people you love. He's a McDonald's gift card when you love McDonald's iced coffee. And for most of us, we don't know it. So when we get into these struggles, when we get into these issues, we don't know. And here's what you know from Scripture in Ephesians 6. That the armor that you put on one time, it reflects the gift that Jesus has to you. Because the Bible says, fasten that belt around you. Do it once and it stays for how long? forever. Well, that's because Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the father except through him. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you what? And yet most people who know Jesus live in bondage. 
they live in bondage. But we can quote the scripture. We quote it, oh, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Right? If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Then the reality is, if you're free in Jesus, then why do you allow yourself to be in bondage to your bad day, your bad week, your bad month? If Jesus set you free, Jesus said, if you are freed by the Son, you are free indeed. Amen? But if you don't know the benefit of that gift, you're never going to live that way. Instead, you're going to beat yourself up about how terrible you were. You see, the reality is when you know truth, the truth then has to be something you live out. Because if you know it and you can quote it, but you don't live it, it doesn't do you any good. Right? It doesn't do you any good. And I want you to see that this breastplate of righteousness that we've talked about. Listen, righteousness is a requirement for any of us who want to stand right before God. And none of us are righteous. And you don't have to be in here... Being a church person or online being a church person to be all offended by that. You already know you're not righteous. The reality is you know that there's been moments that you knew the right thing to do and didn't do it. You knew the wrong thing to do and you still did it anyway. Everybody knows that. And if you don't, then you're not asking the right people. Because nobody's righteous. Now your issue may be with a God who is righteous and requires us to be righteous. You know what? Have at it. God and you can have that discussion, and I, I encourage you to do that with him. But we don't have to have it, because I'm not righteous. And scripture says that for you and I to be righteous, there's only two ways to do that. You take the test, and you get every question right. Well, we already know we haven't done that. So what's the other way? We read it last week in Romans 3. Romans 3 says there's a new way to be righteous before God, and you don't have to follow all the rules. Half of us in this room should say what? Thank you, Jesus. Right? God can look at you and go, you're still right. You're still okay with me. And you didn't follow all the rules. Matter of fact, you got a 47% on this test. But you know what? In Jesus, you're all right with me. And everyone in this room and online should say what? Amen. Amen and thank you. And he says, here's how you get it. You get it through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. You simply get it through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. And it's free. That's great news, is it not? And the reality is what you're learning through the, the, the armor of God is when you get this, when you get this, you get it one time and it lasts forever. Amen? This isn't something you have to put on every day. This is your new uniform. Right? That's why Paul says in Galatians 3, when you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. It's yours. It's not a suit that you take on and take off. It's a suit that you have, which means some of us have battered, have battered and bruised and beaten our suit of armor. But it's still ours in Jesus. Amen? So this breastplate of righteousness that we talked about is a part of this new identity that we have in Jesus. Because our Savior is not dead. He did die. Our scripture says he died for us once, for all sin, for all time. But now he lives to intercede for us daily. Our Savior who died is alive. Amen? Amen? So don't carry the guilt of this Jesus dying for you when you didn't ask. Celebrate the Jesus that's alive and he's interceding on your behalf. He's for you because you're his. And he promises to lose none of those out of his hand who are his. So we have this belt and we have this breastplate. And here's the thing. That breastplate isn't earned. It's given. 
As we led, read last week, right? It's, it's ours because of what God did to us through Jesus. Let's just read this one verse. I want to go to 2 Corinthians. This is in the second point, David, uh, under righteousness. The scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. I just want you to remember this because this is going to set us up for the next piece, which is the feet, right? Our feet that are shod with the readiness, right? That comes to this gospel of peace. Listen to what he says at Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ today, right? You're in Christ because in your heart you believed and with your mouth you confessed and in faith you surrendered to baptism. If that's you in here, if that's you online, say amen. Say amen like you mean it. He says, if you're in Christ, you're a what? Now see, that's truth. Is that not truth? That's truth. So you're a what? Then why in the world do you still think that you're the same old person? Why is it when, when, when your thoughts, right? When your thoughts get in your brain and say, see, you're just the same old, same old, same old. If you know this is true, what should you say to that doubt or that thought in your head? You should say what? I am a what? New. And this isn't new like thrift store new. This is new like off the assembly line new. He says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And guess what happened to the old you? The old has what? Gone. It's out. It's over. And the new has come. This is who we are in Jesus. This is who we are. This is how we should treat each other in church. You all in Jesus, you all online in Jesus should be treated by me as new creations. Not as people who are old, who are trying to earn the moniker. No, you're new in Jesus. Which means when we talk, we talk differently. Right? When we interact, we interact differently. If you're married, you do the same thing to your spouse differently. Because in Jesus, they're a what? They're a new creation. That means we speak differently. We interact differently. We do the same thing with our kids who become to faith in Christ. They're now a what? A new creation. And the old has what? Gone. Now, that's a perspective that God has of us. But my, my same old self still lives here, right? I don't know about your old self that still takes breath. But my old self still wants to do old self things. Anybody else? Yeah, my old self has some, my old self has some interests that aren't always in agreement with God. Right? There's just things I want to do in regard to that. But look what Paul says. Paul says, all this is from God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through who? The reason we preach Jesus is because he's the only way to be reconciled to God. He's it. There's no other way. Now, that's not, that's not exclusive. That's not an exclusive teaching because who can come to God through Jesus? Everyone. This is the most inclusive religion in the world. It just happens to have one door. But guess who can go through it? Everybody. He says, God did that to us through Jesus and he gave us what? He gave us the ministry of what? Listen, when you're serving, when you're serving, the goal of your serving is to do this. Which means there should be no divisions among you. How can you reconcile things when you're also divisive in your speech? When you're divisive in your actions? 
right? It doesn't do any good to go serve Jesus and while you're serving, you're a gossip. It doesn't do any good that when you're serving Jesus, you're also spitting hate towards certain people. Because the ministry that God gave us is a ministry of what? Reconciliation. You see the world we're living in. You see the, the America that we're living in. Do you think our, men, our America needs to be reconciled? Yes or no? Do you think politics are going to do it? Do you think AI is going to do it? No. Do you know who's going to do it? Jesus is going to do it, but do you know how he's going to do it? He's going to do it through his what? He's going to do it through his church. Now ask yourself, do you think the church has been a very good reconciler of people over the years? No. Because think about all the divisive words that we speak. Think about all the divisive actions we participate in. Think about all the divisive posts we make on social media. How can we, how can we get people to the door Jesus for reconciliation when our ministry is more divisive in its action and speech than it is reconciling people. Well, you just understand, Cord, these people are stupid. You don't understand, Cord, these people are evil. Here's what I know, that in Jesus, everybody can be reconciled. And when we got reconciled, we got given the job of reconciling people. Man, if that's not a wake-up call for the way that we interact with people, the way that we talk to our spouses, the way that we talk to our children, the way that we talk to each other in church, the way that we just talk about people in general. Do you have any idea how, how, how it deflates our Jesus when Jesus' people are out in the world at supermarkets, at Walmart, at the soccer fields at work, and their mouth is so divisive in their hatred towards certain kinds of people? How then do we ever reconcile them to Jesus? We can't. We can't. And part of the reason why our nation is failing is because the church has failed our nation. We need to be people who serve with a heart of reconciliation. Not reconciling that person with my philosophy or my political views. Who cares? Our reconciliation is to God through who? Through Jesus. Somebody say amen. That was free. I didn't even intend to say that. All right. Look at this verse. God was reconciling the world. The world. Inclusive religion is crazy out there. Everybody's invited to himself and Jesus. And here's how he did it. He didn't count your sins against you. Aren't you grateful church? If God won't count your sins against you. Should you count your sins against you? Four people said no. Listen, dealing with the consequences of your decision isn't counting your sin against you. That's just dealing with the consequences of your actions. Counting your sins against you, that's, a, that's an accounting term in the Greek, right? It's the idea of adding things up in a ledger, right? And the reality is, how many, how many marriages do that? How many marriages are absolutely ruined because one spouse counts other, the other spouse's transgressions? How many parents and children have separated because parents count transgressions against their, their, their kids? And how many kids end up growing, growing in their hatred toward their parents and can't wait to separate from them because what have they done? They've held their sins against them and counted them. 
Guess what God did? Reconciliation only happens when you do not count people's sins against them. Now think about it for yourself. If God did that for you so that you could be reconciled to him, what do you think it does to your reconciliation when you go, I know, but I know, but I'm going to hold myself accountable. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I feel guilt. I want to, I want to listen. I'm going to have to live in this. I'm going to have to feel this shame. What do you think it does to your confidence in that reconciliation? If you're counting it against you. It's going to destroy it. It's going to undermine it. And all of a sudden, you're not going to believe this as much. You're going to have a hard time doing it. But if you know this truth, and this is the truth you speak to yourself when you're in those situations, because let's be honest, all of us in here are online. If you're a believer in here online, say amen. Have you, have you committed any sins that are worthy to be counted against you since you've accepted Christ? Yes or no? Yes, for sure. Right? You certainly have. I certainly have. And yet the Bible says God doesn't count our sins against us. Which means, if you ask God how many sins there are against us since we've accepted Christ, the number he would tell you is what? Zero. Zero. But how many of your sins have you held against yourself? Punished yourself, right? Wouldn't allow yourself to enjoy the beauty of the new day because you were dumb and you did something wrong. Listen, I'm not asking you to act as if doing wrong is okay. No, 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 because that's not the teaching of scripture. But I am asking you to understand that in your journey of faith, when you do wrong, Let's not violate truth of scripture just because you want to feel bad about it, right? You cannot let Satan get into your brain. We're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. This is it. Satan gets into your thoughts and guess what he does? He convinces you this isn't true. And all of a sudden your confidence is a little bit shaky. And if your confidence is shaky, you're going to treat everybody else like their confidence should be shaky as well. No, we were reconciled to God through Christ because God didn't count our sins against us. Somebody say amen. And then he says this. And he committed to us the what? Not just the ministry, but the message of reconciliation. That's why Paul says, when you speak, speak with grace. When you speak, speak to build people up, not to tear them down. When you speak, your words should be encouraging. When you speak, they should be full of love, right? You can speak truth, but do it in love. That's why Paul says, when you restore a sinner, do it with gentleness and respect. Why? Because the message of reconciliation is vocal. And in our world today, it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on Facebook, right? It's through text messages, right? Our message needs to be a message of what? Reconciliation. And th listen, I, I only use politics not because I'm political, because I am not. I am not. I am a Christian who believes in Jesus and believes in one king and one kingdom. Am I grateful that I live in the country, the country that I live in? Absolutely. Did I join the armed forces and serve on foreign soil? I have not. I have not. But here's what I know. I know that if we're going to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, our message of reconciliation has to be around Jesus and not around anything else. And if you decide that saving your country is more important than saving souls, we're going to have a hard time getting people to Jesus. Because God isn't saving America. 
He isn't saving Russia. He's saving people who call those places home. God cares about all places and all people and all skin colors and all socioeconomic areas. He cares about all those people because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? But you think about it. Post-pandemic. Post-pandemic. I don't know how much you've listened or watched. But if you paid attention to what preachers are preaching from the pulpit, I'm embarrassed to death. I'm embarrassed to death that the message that comes from the pulpit has nothing to do with Jesus. And has everything to do with other stuff. And you know what? That verse says the message that God gave us was the message of what? Not condemnation. Reconciliation. And there's only one entity that reconciles people to God. And it's Jesus. Listen, if these things are true, these things have to change the way we live. They can't just be things that we quote when somebody asks from the pulpit. They can't just be verses. They've got to be the way that we live. And listen, you can be angry at me all you want. That's fine. Listen, if you want to come yell at me, that's fine. Because I'm okay with you being wrong. I'm okay with it. But what I'm not okay with is when we represent Jesus as believers in Christ with the wrong message. Because my family may interact with you and I want them to know the truth. My friends may meet you at a restaurant and I want them to hear about Jesus. I do not care what political party you support. What I care about is that you tell and show people Jesus. Because your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers, those people are going to interact with you. And they need to hear and see Jesus. They can't just hear and see Jesus when you come to church in a building that looks like ours that sells bacon for, for, for pennies. They can't just see Jesus when you go on a mission field. They need to see Jesus all the time. And when you're on social media, they need to hear Jesus. Because we've got the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And here's why. Look at this. Verse 20. Were therefore Christ what? Ambassadors. Representatives of the king. Living in a foreign country. Representing our kingdom. Think about. Oh Lord Jesus forgive us. Think about the message that his people have given as his ambassadors. Compared to the message he gave us to give them. It's frightening. How far away from the king's message we've gotten. The message that the king gave us was, I came to die for you because the father loves you. And the way that you receive it is through faith in me. That's the way we do it. He says, we're ambassadors. What's that job? As though God himself were making his appeal through us. Do you understand the power you have as a believer of Jesus? You speak on behalf of God. God's appeal through you is what people hear. Do you really think the appeal that the American church has been making over the last five years, the last ten years, is the appeal that God wants? Because if the message is reconciliation, and then the ministry is reconciliation, and all that's found through Jesus... How are we doing representing our God? Sometimes I shudder at how far we've gotten away from that. Listen, I'm not for evil. I'm not for darkness. I'm not for any of that stuff. I want all that stuff to be gone. But here's the way that it happens. They've got to meet Jesus. That's how they're going to do it. 
And we get the privilege of doing that. And here's why. Look what he says in verse 21. Or the end of 20. We implore, that word is, a, is the word of beg. Right? It's used in scripture to describe what a beggar does. We beg you on behalf of Jesus. What? Think like we do. Vote the same party we do. Stand for everything we stand for. No. We beg you what? Be reconciled to to God. That's it. And we only know one way to do that, right, church? We get reconciled to God through who? Through Jesus. So he goes on to say this in verse 21. God made him. This is how we, how we, how we get made right. God made him who knew no sin to become our sin offering so that what? In Jesus, we might become the what? Righteousness of God. We might become the right thing before God in Jesus. Amen. So when you stand before God, you stand righteous. Amen. And you stand before God righteous. How often? Come on. How often? All the time. Because of who? Not because of you. Now, if that's the truth, how often are you righteous? Always. Now, check this out. I want to read this verse. Let's go to verse the, the third point there, David. And let's bring up Revelation 12. So let's get this sermon done so I can preach a new one next week. All right. Revelation 12, starting at verse 7. Check this out. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. This is Satan, right? And dragon and his angels fought back. This is this, this is this spiritual war, right? That takes place up in heaven, right? During this period that Revelation is talking about. And he says, and the dragon and his angels fight back. Check out what happens. But he was not strong enough, right? The dragon and their angels, and they lost their place where? In heaven. And we know that that place has been there because if you go back to Job, you see that in Job, Satan went to and fro, right? The earth, and he ends up in the presence of God. Satan had access into that environment. Here, right, they lost their place in heaven. And it says the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the what? The devil or Satan. Now he's no longer allowed to be in heaven, right, having access to God when we get to this point. Why is this important? Right. Because look what Satan does. Satan, read this line with me. Everybody online, everybody here, read this first line with me. Who what? Leads? Stop. Now think about America that we live in. Is, is our country being led astray? Guess who's responsible? Satan who leads the what? Here's the thing. We are not in a political fight for our country. We are in a spiritual fight. Because Satan's desire is to lead the what? The whole world astray. Is our nation being led astray? My lands like crazy. If we want to win this fight, fight the right fight. And guess what the fight is? The fight is against this devil who wants to lead them astray. And guess who defeated the devil? Jesus. And guess who we know? Jesus. Jesus. You want Satan to lose in leading your school system, your city, your state, your country from being astray? Fight the right fight. Nowhere does it say anything else up here. Satan, the devil, was hurled from heaven because he leads the whole world 
astray. This is what he's doing. When you see all this nonsense being played out in our country where right is being called wrong and wrong is being called right and we're trumpeting it on, trumpeting on all of our national news systems and we're making it to be greater than it is, that is the work of the devil. Because he's trying to lead the world astray. And then check this out. He, Satan, was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Thank God this moment comes, right? Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, listen to what heaven says, now that Satan no longer has access to them during the tribulation period. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. Look what else he says. And the authority of his Christ for the what? The accuser of our brothers who accuses those brothers and sisters before our God day and night has been what? So what do you know? You know two things. That before this moment happens, Satan's doing two things. He's leading the whole world astray and he's accusing, accusing, right, us before God. That's all he does. And the Bible says how often is he accusing God about you? He's doing it how often? Day and night. Every day he's got one ministry. That is to accuse us before God. And what do you think he's accusing us of? He's accusing us of being what? Liars, cheaters, right? People pretending to be something we're not. See, God, I told you, look at them. You should be counting that sin against them. You should be holding that against them. They say they love you. Did you see what they did? Did you see what she said? Did you see what happened in that house? He's accusing. How often is he doing it? Every day. Can you imagine how annoying it is to be in heaven right now? I think about my mom. I think about my mom who's in heaven. Not eternal heaven, not the heaven that comes down and, and, and that is going to be here. I'm talking about present heaven. The heaven where Satan still has access and he's up there every day accusing, accusing, accusing before the throne every day and night about us. And I can imagine my mom just being angry as all get out. It can't be a peaceful place. And you know it's not. Because if you go on and read Revelation 12, you're going to find out that the chorus of singing breaks out in heaven because they're sick and tired of listening to that accuser's voice. But that's happening up there. But we get a picture of what he's doing here. He's leading this whole world astray. And it goes on to say, the people, the people, the people, us, the people down here, how do we overcome? It says we overcame him by the what? The blood of the lamb and by the word of what? What word? Now, let me tell you something. This is why we study Ephesians 6, because you need a testimony. And what you learn from Ephesians 6 is the testimony is that when it comes to knowing Jesus, I'm armored. I'm armored and I'm suited up and I'm armored and suited up. How many days? How many days? Every day. Because I only did it how many times? And it lasts for how long? Listen, you want to overcome the accuser? You want to overcome the one who leads the world astray? You better have a word of testimony. And the testimony is built on the truth of Scripture. And here's what you know. I'm righteous before God because of Jesus. Amen? That is my breastplate. I wear that with pride. It has my insignia on it. It identifies to the enemy. This is whose army I belong to. And it covers my heart and it's mine forever. 
I do not stand before God upon my own righteousness. I did that once and I was condemned. I found Jesus and now I have his and I'm no longer condemned. That's my testimony. It's yours too, church. And so you overcome this accuser. You overcome this one who leads the world astray because you've got a testimony in the blood of Jesus. Most people don't have that. They have a Jesus who died for them and didn't even ask their permission. And now they got to carry the weight of that and they got to live up to that. No, you don't. You got a God who loves you. You got a Savior who sacrificed for you because He loves you. Because somebody who loves lays down their life for a friend. And the hope is that you will accept that gift and truly understand how precious it is to you. Because if you don't, you will have no testimony. And guess what will happen is you'll get a testimony the same way Eve got one. You'll believe the deceiver. And all of a sudden, your testimony will sound different than the truth. Your testimony will start having these little hedging your bet statements in it. Statements like, yeah, yeah, I listen, you're a Christian. Yeah, if you do these things, if you don't do these things, and all of a sudden you start hedging your bet around what makes you a Christian. You know what makes you a Christian? Jesus. Jesus. Not you. Nothing to do with you. But I love the fact that in Revelation 12, we know what's happening to our world. It's being led astray. It's being led astray by the devil. And I have a savior that God promised in Genesis 3.15 that when he showed up, he destroyed Satan. He made a mockery of him. He disarmed him. And now we, according to Paul, are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Amen, yeah. Because he says, what's going what's to separate us from that? Nothing. Think about all the things you allow Satan to convince you that separates you from this truth testimony. It almost always has to do with what you think about yourself or what you've allowed somebody else to think about you. The only thing you need to know is that in Jesus, you've got a suit of armor and it lasts forever. Listen to these, because listen to how this impacts you. Philippians 3.12. Now, not that I've already obtained all this, he says, or I've already been made perfect, right? But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, right? Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Leave it right there, right? Listen. Ah! Right? Listen. Everybody in here about line that knows Jesus, say amen. amen. Have you, have you completed the journey and are you perfect in your practice of faith? Yes or no? No. We all know that. So Paul says, I haven't considered, listen, arrogance considers that they've reached perfection in their performance. I haven't done that. I'm perfect in Jesus. I'm perfect in Jesus. Somebody, I'm perfect in Jesus. Amen, right? We're perfect in Jesus, but in my performance, have I taken hold of it yet? No. He says this, but listen to what he says. But one thing I do, everybody, forgetting what's behind and what? Listen, if you believe that in Jesus you own the breastplate of righteousness and you stand before God righteous because Jesus' righteousness was imparted to you, you know what you do with your past mistakes? You what? Come on, say forget. If you forget, you know what you do for other people's past mistakes? You do what? You forget. How can they move forward if you won't let them move forward? How can they ever let go if you constantly remind them? That's why we practice forgiveness. 
Listen, you tell me that your negative words about somebody's past performance doesn't indicate what they'll be in the future. You don't know human beings. Because if your negative testimony about them continues, that imprints in their brain and that's who they become. You tell a kid he's stupid long enough, that kid will be what? That's what kid will be stupid. You tell this person they're a failure long enough, they will become a what? Listen, if you love your spouse, forget what's behind. If you love your kids, forget what's behind. And if you love Jesus, forget your behind and strain to what is ahead. Somebody say amen. Because that's what truth does. Truth sets you what? It sets you free. Listen, I don't want to just tell you academic things. I want you to see the real world application of it. He said, so I press on to win the goal, right? To the goal, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Which direction? Heavenward in Christ Jesus, right? Those are truth bombs, right? Those are lives that we should live. How about Hebrews 10? Listen to this. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Stop. Bring that verse back up, right? How often should you have confidence to enter into the holy place? Always. Honestly. Honestly. How many times do you avoid God because you've been bad? You've done something stupid. You've sinned. And then when it comes to praying to God, showing up to church to worship God, you've lost your what? You've lost your confidence. Why? In Jesus, you own the breastplate of what? Righteousness. Do you think God's embarrassed to see you walk into church when you got drunk last night because you made a bad decision as a Christian? No, he's not. Now, the people who knew you got drunk last night might be embarrassed for you. But he says, I forget what's behind and I press on what? To what's ahead. Do you know how many people's lives have been ruined as Christians because their future story is simply a repeat of their past performance? Because they won't let it go. Do you know why one divorce often leads to two divorces and often leads to three divorces? Is because people repeat bad behavior because they won't let it go. You gotta let it go. You've got confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. He goes on to say this, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is the body of Jesus, right? And since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen to this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full, what? Assurance of faith. Why? Because our hearts have been sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, you should never, ever, ever, ever. Hi, Shelby. You should. Shelby saw me today. She goes, 735. I'm coming to say hi to you. Right? She's so kind. Right? You've got a confidence. It comes through Jesus. Do not run away from him because you had a bad day, a bad moment. Listen to what it says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, the next verse, right? Actually, I want to read that verse 23. Go back to that 1023, right? Listen to this, church. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we what? See? Do not let Satan rob you of that testimony. Hold to it what? Don't let anything get in the way of that. For he who promised is what? You're not, I'm not, but the God who promised is what? Faithful. Check this out. So if this is true for all of us, what should we do? Let's consider then how we may spur one another on toward what? Love, not loathing. 
not self-loathing and guilt and shame. Let's spur one another on to love and what? Good deeds. Why? Because we've got work to do. The thing I love about Joe most of all is the fact that without apology, he is constantly spurring us on to love and good deeds. Why? Because people are dying and don't know Jesus. We haven't got time to beat you up for your past. We got time to help you move past it. We ain't got time to beat you up for it. And if you think that God's going to put his salvation plan on hold because you were a moron last night, you don't know God's heart for the lost people. He's got you. Let's move forward and don't give up meeting together. Because what happens when a Christian loses confidence in their salvation? What's the first place they quit coming? The church. So he says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Instead, do what? Encourage one another. All the more as you see the end coming. Anybody here think the end's coming at us like a freight train? Then you should be more encouraging to your brothers to do love and good deeds than ever before. Is that happening in the church? No. We're too busy talking about politics. We're too busy talking about the issues. Instead of getting in the real fight. One more verse, Hebrews chapter four says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. We used to read that verse and we try to read it to terrify people. God knows everything. You're not getting away with anything. Listen in context. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Listen what he says. Therefore, Since we have a what? Great high priest who's already gone through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith that we what? So he says, even though that God knows everything and you're going to be held accountable, you can still cling to your faith with true hope. Why? Because we don't have a high priest who doesn't sympathize with our weaknesses. Right? But we have one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet he did it without what? Thank you, Jesus. Right? So then let us approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. When? So that we may receive mercy. We don't get what we deserve and find grace, get what we don't deserve to help us in our time of what? We've been so programmed by preaching that when we're bad, we stay away from church and we don't pray. But when we get our lives together, we come to church and we pray. The Bible says the complete opposite. God already knows all the stuff. It's already laid out before him and you're already accountable to him. But because we got Jesus, you know what you should do? You should approach the throne boldly and you should say to God, I messed up last night, God. I need your mercy and I need your grace. And guess what you'll get? A high priest who goes, I get it. I've been there. I bet I've been there. Is that what we teach our children? Is that what we teach our children who we want to know Jesus or we teach them to be afraid? We should never, ever do that. Last verse. Last verse. Galatians 2, 19 through 21. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Listen, you ever seen a speed limit sign and break the speed limit? Yes or no? He says, to the law, I died to the law, meaning I failed it, right? But he said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, check this out, but Christ, what? Lives in me, 
So now the life I live in this body, how am I going to live it? I'm going to live it by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? I won't set aside the grace of God for if right standing with God could be gained through obedience to all the rules, Christ died for nothing. In Jesus, you've been set free. Amen. That breastplate, listen, that breastplate of righteousness changes everything, but it won't change anything for you if you don't believe it as truth and let it be a good gift that actually is something that you can use. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, man. Thank you for setting us free. Father, I know, I know, I listen, I know the gospel of grace well enough to know that there'll be people that will want to take it and abuse it. Lord, deal with those people accordingly. But for everybody else, Father, that wants to live, live in this gospel, God, would you simply convict them? Would you simply encourage them? Would you simply strengthen them to be confident, not in ourselves, but in the one who promised? Because the one who promised is faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.